Good morning. Welcome to Regeneration. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. We cherish it. We absolutely love it. And as we go through, lead us not into temptation. I pray, Lord, that um, your Holy Spirit would direct us in terms of our thinking and um, where our heart is going, that you would uh, fill us with your spirit. So you speak to us, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Have any of you ever thought that you'd have a life absent of temptation? I mean, that would be pretty awesome. That would be pretty great. How many of you think that the older you get, the easier the temptations will be for you to overcome? Anybody think that? You know, because sometimes people think this, right? Like, oh, if, if I just get married, all this stuff is going to go, all these struggles that I had, they're going to go away. Or if I just graduate from college, if I just get that job, or, or if I just had kids, you know, all these different things, that'll never happen. The, the, the issues that you have prior to your marriage, you, you tend to bring those into your marriage. The problems that you had, the issues that you had prior to having children, you tend to bring them when you have children. They kind of flow. There isn't that clean of a break in terms of like, oh, the before and after. And I actually think that the older that you get and you don't deal with those temptations that you're currently dealing with in a godly way, they actually get worse. Right? And the more things you'll be dragging into these new relationships, so into your new marriage relationship, or if you have kids, or into these new communities, like you got this new job, or you graduate and you go into this grad school or whatever else, you drag those things into your new communities and into your new relationships. Temptation is something that's here to stay, and it's something that we can't avoid. Now, if you want to know when temptation is going to stop, You'll have to die to experience that. So be careful what you wish for. Now, how many of you find yourselves in Romans chapter 7? And maybe some of you aren't familiar with this, so let me read part of it to you. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 19. And I find myself here really, really often. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law. That is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Anybody find yourself there? I found myself there yesterday driving on 80. That was terrible traffic. I was going to this wedding and I was, I was driving myself. I'm not going to make it. There, I'm not going to make it there. And I'm running a half hour late. And uh, I, I did make it there. But it, it had these things boiling inside of me. Like, why did that person just come in front of me? Why is that person driving so slow? And on all these things, right? It's just a continual war, isn't it? Why are we as Christians in a war such as this when God is on our side? When we've professed Jesus to come into our life, why is this keeping going on? Like, well, why is, What's going on here? Well, there are some things to understand. And, and one such thing is that we're all born 
with sin. Essentially, we are born not as a friend of God, but as a foe, as an enemy of God. And who we belong to is the enemy of God, right? Satan. And this is until we submit our lives to Jesus and we're converted into being a child of God. Now, when a conversion has happened, it does not mean that there's smooth sailing from that point on. We're not exempt from the things that other people are dealing with as Christians. What does Jesus pray in John chapter 17, verse 15? Jesus prayed to God the Father this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And for me, I'm like, Jesus, why didn't you just pray that you take me out of the world? Right? It's not that the evil one disappears from our life. He, he's very present. He's, he's very much there. But we're protected from him. We're protected from him. What verse 4, and lead us not into temptation. It's a prayer from the protection of evil or from evil. And, and evil is a very real thing. Satan is a very real person. Or I don't know if he, no, he's not a person. A thing. It's a very real thing. And if you don't think so, you don't have to look much farther than a couple of weeks ago, weeks ago at what happened in Norway. That evil is very real. Pure evil is very real. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, it is written, We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. You ever wonder why the world is so messed up? You know, people, people say like, hey, if God is real, then why is the world so messed up? Because Satan has brought hell to earth. Right? Peter wrote to us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So there are some folks that believe, you know, that Satan thing, that's just old folklore stuff. Like, why do you believe that stuff? Wondering how people in our modern age can believe such a thing. And the same folks who believe so strongly in this type of modernity and our advancements in science and technology, they have a difficult time explaining away that's the evil within man. They have a tough time explaining that away. They can explain away technology and science and, and, and controlling of it and, and explaining how things work. And we can talk to almost anyone in the world with our communications technology. Right? I can get on a satellite phone and talk to somebody on, at Half Dome. Or I can speak to someone in the middle of the Sahara Desert. I, I can do a lot of things in terms of our communications technology. But why can't we control our minds and the evil within them and talk to someone at the same time during uh, uh, the, the, our, our, our meal? Across from us on the dining table and reconcile our differences and exchange forgiveness. We can speak to somebody thousands of miles away, but we can't speak to somebody four feet in front of us. Why do we lie? Why do we cheat and steal and hate and slander and harbor jealousy and pride and selfishness? Why is morality such a difficult thing? Because of sin. And we, we have Adam to thank for that one. The sin of Adam has been ascribed to us just as the righteousness of God has been ascribed to us through Jesus Christ. See, we, we are born fallen. We have a sin nature. And as sinners, we, we have this propensity to 
overtly act out our sin. Right? And so this, this first overt act of sin, we're just born this way. We don't have to do an overt action. We are born sinners. And you don't have to teach a toddler how to hurt another toddler. They, they know how to, those evil suckers do it on their own. If you, you just have to go downstairs and, and, and watch them. They, you don't have to teach them a thing about selfishness, about hurting somebody physically or emotionally and calling them whatever, doo-doo head or whatever they do and, and spitting on them or taking them. You don't have to teach any of that. They are really good at that on their own. Matthew chapter 15, verse 17 through 19. Do you not see whatever, that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. The Bible in Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? See, much of modern thinking centers on the thought that all the answers lie uh, in terms of solving the issues of the world, that they lie on certain things. So certain things such as knowledge or education, and they rely on such things or democracy or whatever uh, other types of ideologies and things are out there. But can we really say that things have gotten better or worse? What can we really say about our society? Can we say that people care more, that they show more compassion now uh, when information is just rampant compared to the rest of our history? Can we say that? If technology and science have allowed anything, it's the ability to kill more people, damage people, hurt people more quickly and on a larger scale than ever ever before. And it's, it's not the need for education. It's the need for a Savior. And, and it's not the need for us to know more as, as much as it is for our hearts to be transformed by Jesus. Education does not solve the issues of sexual immorality, of addiction, of other things that we attempt to tackle. Education does not address those things completely. The change doesn't come from the outside in. right? It's from the inside out. Our hearts need to change. And I'm not saying that education is bad at all. I, I believe strongly in education. We, we spend a lot of our resources in Oakland Unified School District tutoring a lot of kids, supporting organizations that support Oakland Unified School District, like Faith Network whom we're sending another intern there to, to, to work with them. So we, we believe in education. It's just not the primary fix. It's just part of the puzzle. And it's not just non-believers, right? This is a problem within the church. Sometimes the church is so focused on behavior modification, on external things, and, and what people are doing on the outside and how they look on the outside while they're neglecting what's going on in the inside. So as long as things look good on the outside, sometimes we don't venture in deeper to find out, hey, what's really going on on the inside? And so we put on all these fronts for the sake of looking strong, 
for, for the sake of looking like we have it all together, that, that we know all the answers when that's not what Jesus calls us to be. Jesus calls us to be humble. Not that we have to have all the answers and we have to look strong for people who look up to us or anything like that. Dave was talking about earlier about vulnerability. And vulnerability is such a powerful thing. Humility is such a powerful thing. James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. Dave mentioned that earlier on in this week that we attended this um, leadership conference. And I have a confession too. Why don't we just all confess things? My confession is that I struggled a lot with envy. Because everybody at that leadership conference had something bigger, had something more dynamic, had something that was more impacting, had all these things. And these people were charismatic, and they had ways of speaking, and they had all these gifts and talents that I was like, God, why didn't you give me that stuff? I'm in Oakland. Those guys are in some rich suburb somewhere. They don't even need that stuff. They could buy it. I need it. And so I wanted all these things and I was jealous of their, their ministries and I was jealous of them and envious of them and I was struggling with this all day long on the first day of the conference. I had all this envy in my head. And I was like, God, what, what's going on? And the very next day, I went, we went to the conference and I was confronted early on in that conference with this beautiful picture of humility. And it was Mama Maggie of Cairo, Egypt. Are you guys familiar with Mama Maggie? She's been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize three times. Mama Maggie is the Mother Teresa of Cairo, Egypt, and she heads up an organization called Stephen's Children. So Mama Maggie heads up to the, the mic, and just her countenance, my eyes started to well up with tears. Just the way that she looked, I could tell that she knew God so deeply, that she was so close. And before she even said a word, I'm just like, no one's ever done that to me. Not even my children when they first came out of the womb. And I, like, like when I, that was happiness and joy, but in terms of seeing like, God's in that woman. And it was the strangest thing, the strangest thing, because once she began to talk, you would expect maybe somebody with some charismatic thing to, to lead this huge ministry serving thousands of kids. Or, but her voice was really soft, and she was just talking really light. And I had to lean in. I was like, "Please talk louder. I want to hear God." Like, come on. <laughs> But that's how God kind of speaks, right? He, he kind of whispers. And so, and she's talking, and by the second sentence, it's like tears rolling down my face, and I'm just crying. <laughs> I just want to touch you, please. And, and, and so, and the humility of the woman, of Mama Maggie, was so loud that she was yelling at me. And the Lord convicted me of some things that were going on in my heart in regards to the envy I was dealing with the day before. 
wanting those large things and wanting those talents and wanting those gifts and wanting those resources and all that stuff. And here's a woman that had nothing. And she came up and actually she had a lot before she decided to go do this particular ministry. She was a professor at American University of Computer Science. And so she was well-educated. Her father was a doctor, and she was talking about how they would travel to France and Paris every year where she would get some nice clothing and some nice jewelry and, and have all these things. And she confessed that she really liked those things. She really liked those things. And then she gave it all away, gave it all up to work with the poorest of the poor. And the largest ovation for that entire conference wasn't the founder of this huge conference or, or the big names that you guys would recognize. It was for this lady that most of you, it seemed like a lot of you never even heard of. And people stood on their feet and they applauded. And you know what she did? She never mentioned anything about herself. She did say thank you. But she directed it right to Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then she got on her knees. This is an elderly lady. I, I, I can't really tell how old she is because she's so holy. And you're like, how old are you? You're like, and she got down and she kissed the floor. And then she got up. It broke me. Psalm chapter 51 verses 10 through 12 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. She helped me so much with these struggles that I had of envy the day before, and I don't know her at all. And being close to God is more than doing the right things on the outside. She did the right things on the outside. It was evident. And it's more than knowing the right things, like having our theology in order. And I think she knew that pretty well, too. It's being broken and humble before him where our heart is available for him to shape it. And I could totally see it in her. Being changed from the inside out. And, and she had such an impact on me that I, I emailed her organization right away when I, when I got on the road and um, to ask if we could bring our interns there um, next year. Because we're going to be going to Egypt. I mean, we're going to be going to Israel in the summertime. And so after that Holy Land pilgrimage, I, I was wanting to find out if we can go to Cairo, Egypt to serve with Stephen's children. And to, so I can meet her. Like, it's kind of selfish. But, you know, I, and so, so I can, like, can you just, like, talk to me or something? Can we just hang out or whatever? Information, education themselves don't solve the needs of the heart and they can't redeem our sin nature. Right? We, we need Jesus for Him to change our heart, to change our spirit, to humble us so we can hear Him. And we're not here as a church to gather as nice religious people to do nice things for ourselves and for our community. We do those things as a manifestation of our faith, but we're here to become more self-aware of our sin and to deal with that. We live in rebellion to God and we need to repent of that. So we are here as a church to question who's in charge of your heart. 
And that's a question that we need to continuously ask ourselves. Who's in charge of your heart? For the Christian, it's Jesus. And even with Jesus, we are not exempt from temptation. So it is a good question to continually ask yourself. Who's in charge of your heart? You? Somebody else that you're codependent on? Um, a substance? Uh, an organization? Who is, is your heart with? For the non-Christian, temptation is also very real. And there are things you can do to help with, with various temptations. Right? There's different support groups and different like self-help books and getting with people and meeting with a, a psychiatrist or a doctor or a counselor. But in light of eternity and in light of the spiritual realm of life, all those things are lacking. They fall short somewhere. See, for the follower of Jesus, there is a regeneration that takes place within us. We are born again. We are made new by God. And what regen- when regeneration has taken place, it doesn't mean the nature of sin has changed in us. We're still sinners. But the standing before God has changed. I, re- I, I was driving and I read this bumper sticker and it says, I was born okay the first time. So it's a, it's a slam on being born again, right? And I just thought, they don't get it. They don't get the whole regenerative piece. Romans chapter 6, verse 14, Paul wrote this, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. The person with that bumper sticker doesn't understand grace. See, sin still sticks around, but it just doesn't reign over you. It doesn't rule over you. And so, so here's where the battles are fought. We're free from the grip of sin, but that doesn't mean it ceases to exist in our life. It's still very much there. We have temptations from the world, from our flesh, from the devil, but ultimately, sin springs up from within us, and we kind of decide to sin. We choose to sin. And sure, the world and the devil, they influence us, but they can't make you sin. Right? Somewhere along the line, we decide on the actions from those influences. So they influence us, but they don't make you. Right? Don't give up that control. Something that I work with my, my daughters at when they, when they fight, right? You make me mad. Honey, no one makes you mad. You choose to be mad. Sure, those things influence you when, you're, when your sisters take your stuff or when they hit you and they do those type of things, but they don't make you that way. And so, so you know, we, we need some ownership of, of what we decide to be like. Right? We choose to be angry. No one makes us angry. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So, so don't give too much credit to the devil or to the world or these other things. I think we are plenty evil ourselves without those other things. I think we do a pretty good job. Just ourselves. Yes, he is out to destroy us. But God is greater, so don't live in fear of the enemy. 
And if we have accepted Jesus in our lives, we know that he's greater than he who is in the world. And of course, we're not to underestimate the power of sin. It is powerful. That's why Jesus teaches us to pray and lead us not into temptation. See, what we're praying for is not to be caught up in that or trapped in that or ensnared in that. We're praying for protection. Don't you find that the better route to deal with issues uh, is prevention rather than treatment? That, that's in most things in our life, whether it's health or cars or life lessons, whatever it is, right? Prevention tends to be the better way to go. So eating well, exercising regularly, um, getting your annual checkups, getting adequate rest, uh, lowering your stress, those are much better things to do than treating the heart attack after the fact. Right? Same thing with cars. It's better to do that oil change every three to, I don't know, some of you do it like 6,000 miles. Whatever your car recommends, that you do that. Instead of having some big thing blow up and you have to do a total engine overhaul. And you have to deal with that. And it's thousands of dollars. So, now God does not tempt. Right? God is not the tempter. James chapter 1 verses 13 through 15. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, God does not tempt. And what Jesus is teaching us to pray in Luke chapter 11, verse 4, is a prayer to protect us from temptation. See, we know temptation is not avoidable. We know that we're not exempt from temptation as believers in Jesus. Even Jesus himself was tempted. Right? In the wilderness. Even at the Garden of Gethsemane when he's praying, Lord, please take this cup from me. There, there are these temptations. But the temptation is not sin. The temptation is not sin. It's when we give into it. When we give into it, sure, God tests us, but He does not tempt us. His testings help us, and they make us more like Him, but He does not tempt. For example, God tested Abraham and Sarah regarding waiting for the birth of their, their son, right? But what happened in that test? It was originally meant to be a test, Well, they took it upon themselves to act independently of God. And what happened in what was a test was that the devil swooped in, the world swooped in, they they themselves were thinking in their own fleshly ways, and they started the workings of changing the test into a temptation. It started out as a test. And they changed it. And, And from that testing of God turned temptation from the devil. Hagar gave birth to Abraham's son, That's not what was planned. That's not what was planned at all. God didn't plant the temptation of Hagar there. Right? Sarah was like, hey. She did it. Right? He he planted the testing of faith, of waiting. That he planted there. But rather than faithfully waiting, they independently acted from God. They, they did that on their own and they took matters into their own hands. How many of us are guilty of this same thing? 
You know, God gives us a test, and rather than whatever that test may be, maybe it is regards to waiting, maybe it's in regards to faith, but we kind of take things in our own matter and we just start manipulating things, acting independently of God and thinking that, you know, that's, that's the way it is. And then we change it into a temptation. God's grace and His mercy are amazing, isn't it? Because if you read further along in the story of Abraham, he gives him another chance to exercise faith. Right? He brings Isaac, his only son, up and God said, kill him. And so he gives him another test. See, God gives multiple tests. Right? You, you, you fail one, you repent, and he gives you another. Until you finally pass. See, he's a good God. He's not like DMV, three chances you're out. He's good. He gives you more than that. Right? And, and so he's good. It says, lead us not into, to, into temptation. It's, it's a prayer that acknowledges that, that testing comes from God, but what it is essentially guiding us to is a leading away from the temptation to do evil. Right? To do evil ourselves or whatever that it is that influences us from the world or Satan or the flesh. And this temptation is going to stick with us. So, so God, Father, don't let me fall into this temptation where, where I'm led to do evil that separates me from you. And so in testing, we know that God leads us there and that he is there with us. That that's testing, but in temptation, we know that God did not lead us there and we're acting independently of him. Those are some key differences between testing and temptation. God is with you in testing. He led you there. He does not lead you in temptation. So keep us in your testing, God. Right? Keep us in your testing, but don't let me stray from that. Don't let me change that into a temptation or let other things influence me to decide to change it into a temptation. So that's kind of the sense of this prayer, that whatever test we may face... We don't want it to go to a place that is independent of him and not under his protection or his direction. That temptations will always be around, but, but lead us away from the things that are going to make us fall. But you see how close temptation and testing are. They're really close together. right? You, you can pretty much guarantee that with each test that there's a temptation that's lurking right there. That sin is lurking really close by. And within our prayer of, and lead us not into temptation, we need to be aware that there's a corresponding being of living to that prayer. Right? For, for us to, to live our life as though we are not led into temptation. For us to live that way. That it's not just lip service. That it's just not some words that we're spewing out. We have a proactive role in thoughtful, purposeful, and intentional prevention of our temptations. We have an active role in that. So if this is our prayer and lead us not into temptation, how are we living? What are we doing? Right? For, for example, if you're addicted to alcohol, not a good idea to go into a bar. Right? And it's not a good idea to go wine tasting or beer tasting or sake tasting or whatever else kind of things that are out there. There are thoughtful, purposeful, and intentional things to do to prevent you from going down that road. 
right? So, so storing it in your home, not a good idea. Not telling your friends is not a good idea because they don't know. And they might, you guys might just go out casually for drinks and things, not thinking anything about it. It's a good idea to tell them about it. So when you casually go out and you think, oh, I can handle one or two, but you really can't. See, other people, they can have one or two. They're not addicted to it. They, they'll do fine. But if you struggle with it, you can't go down that road. So that's why, that's why we got rid of wine in our communion service. We actually used to have both, like unleaded and leaded. And so, but, but one of the things that happened was I, have, I had this, or I have this friend, a close friend, who's been clean for years. He's been, he's been sober for years. But he, he's definitely an addict of alcohol. And so he came and he didn't know that the difference is. And he dipped that cracker into the wine. And he put it in his mouth. And then after the service, he came up to me and he said, You know, I, I, I haven't had any alcohol in, on my lips for years. Like, I, I've not had it. I, I've done really well. But after tasting that, it all came back. And I'm really struggling. It was gone. And, and so, it's, it's, and upstairs especially, like we had these things, and the wine one would be empty. Like someone just chugged it really quick, right? Like took us, and sometimes it'd be so clean, like someone licked it. And so, we, we have inventory of all you guys. Up there. Um, but, so we got rid of it, and we put grape juice there. But how are you living with the things that tempt you? Right? He could have just told me, like, oh, it's not a big thing, and I'm not going to let him go. But he, he needed to let me know, like, that, that tempted me. That, that, that thing, it wasn't a good thing for me to experience. And, that led, so, and it's not something that I know of everyone's struggle, so we just got rid of it. If you struggle with lust, is it a good idea for you to have a data plan on your phone? For you to have the internet. For you to have cable. I'm not trying to be legalistic about these things. It's only because you have a certain issue. Legalistic is if I told everyone to get rid of their data plan, to get rid of their internet, to get rid of their cable. That's not what I'm saying because some of us can use things appropriately. And it's not an addiction or a problem or, or some issue like lust. But I don't think that everyone here uses those things appropriately. And if you're there, there are some purposeful, thoughtful, intentional things for you to do to not lead you into temptation. And so it's not just lust, because what about finances? If you're not paying your debts and, and you have the types of wants like a data plan or internet or cable or whatever, see, those aren't needs. Right? And, and, and if they are because of work, that you need those things because of work, maybe you need to find a new line of work. What's more serious? That temptation that leads you to sin, that breaks apart relationships, whether it's in your marriage or your family or whatever. Is that more important? Or find a new job? So how are you thoughtfully, purposefully, intentionally addressing the temptations of your life? What are you doing there? Are the temptations close by? 
right? If they are, this prayer, and lead us not into temptation, that's not a serious prayer for you, right? If the, if the temptations that you're dealing with are close by, you struggle with lust, and a block away is an adult store. That prayer is not serious for you. You need to move ways away. You need to get out of there. Right? How close in proximity are the things that you struggle with? If you're struggling with alcohol and that bar is just a block away, that's not a good place for you to live. See, temptation is not sin. But if you're putting yourself in temptation's way, you are sinning. See, just, just because you're neglecting or you're absent and you're not, oh, it's over there, but whatever. But if you're not actively moving away, that's sin. I would argue that that's sin. Some of you may argue that, hey, that's just you being tempted, but I haven't acted on it. But I'd argue that if you're intentionally putting yourself in a tempting situation, you have acted upon it. You've acted upon it that it's in your head. Right? It, it, to get you to the fringes of that temptation, instead of removing you closer to the core of where Jesus is, you're moving closer to those fringes, and it's, it plays in your head easier. And you have this active role where you don't have to be on the fringes. And so often in the head, that's kind of where the sin starts, right? Usually. Usually things are festering in there for quite a while before you actually act upon it. So what, what are, what's the destination there? The fringes or the core? See, it starts before that. Repentance is turning away from it. You turn away from it, not just physically, but wholly. Right? Even, even what's in your head, you turn away from those things. Temptations are all around us and they're happening all the time. And so in regards to something like lust, the world doesn't help this issue and they know it. They prey upon us, right? They, they, they know sex sells, so they use this type of marketing to even sell like Carl's Jr. hamburgers. I mean, give me a break. A burger. Right? And then they use it to sell all sorts of stuff. They put it in magazines and billboards and commercials. It's everywhere. And so even at times of worship and prayer and preaching and, and things in the church, it's still playing in people's heads. And a lot of it is because we're just allowing it throughout the week. We just let it play, let it play, thinking that it's not a big thing. But then you walk into a church service, it's still playing. It's not like you can press the stop button. It still plays. See, the world, our flesh, Satan, they're all vying for our attention, desiring to pull us away from God, to pull us to those fringes and just say, like, hey, you can handle it. It's just right there. It's just a temptation. You're not sinning yet. What is holding us back from thoughtfully, purposefully, and intentionally addressing the temptations of our life? And before any of us makes excuses as to why we're, we aren't tackling our temptations seriously, right? we have all these reasons why. Right? Oh, my upbringing, my parents, or um, past abuses and all that stuff. I realize all this stuff happens. And it's harder for you. I realize that. But let me give you a, a verse in the Bible to hopefully encourage you. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. See, a lot of people, they want to make a special case for themselves, right? Oh, I'm doing this because I had this 
crazy struggle, you know, I, I had this upbringing, or I had this happen to me, or, you know, uh, whatever kind of reasonings that they have, right? God has seen it before. In all of history of men, God has seen it before, and He's delivered those people from those temptations. The question to ask ourselves is what is really holding you back? What is the real reason? So, so is it pride? Is it rebellion? Is it escapism? Is it medication and coping with certain things that you don't know how to cope with and they're on a deeper level, but you just don't know how to get there? See, ask God to reveal to you what's really going on within you, and He's going to let you in on that. So is it you? Is it the world? Is it Satan? What is it? God, help me. Like, reveal to me whatever that deeper thing is in me that's holding me back. And know that God is in control, that, that if it's you, He can heal you. Right? If you know some things, He can heal you. We recently hired a, a church consultant. She's going to be starting in September. And I met with her for over three hours because there are some things that I, I want to change organizationally at the church and to get us more efficient on some things. And, and, and so what I, what I told her was, you know what, I, I hope and pray that all the problems are me. That I, I, I hope that they're me, that I have to change. Because then I can address that in, in, in terms of God and heal me, you know, help me. And if it's other people, there's a certain extent that I can help other people. But you have to kind of decide you want to change. I, change can't be forced upon you, Right. So I was telling her, I just hope that when you do this study and you do these surveys and you do all these things for our church, that it just kind of points to me. Because I know that I can work on changing me. But even if it's not me, and say you have other struggles, and those struggles are the world, he can strengthen you to overcome those things from the world. That if it's Satan, that God has control over even him. Right, that, that you look at the interactions that Satan had with Job, that he still had to check in with God he had to, you know, before he could run off and do anything to Job. That he has control over that too. That there's a battle being fought for our souls. And, and which side do you find yourself on? Which side do you want to be in? Some of you want to be, maybe some of you, want to be on the side that God's not on. Because he's too overbearing for you. That He wants you to live in this certain way because He wants you to be close to Him and that's not what you want. That's hell. And that He gives you dignity for. You can you want that? He's not going to force you to come over to Him. Right? And so we read, Father, lead us not into temptation. Let's pray. Lord, with all these temptations that are around us, Lord, I pray for protection for our church, for the people here. God, we need you. And Lord, when those testings come to us from you and you're leading us to those things, help us to discern how you want us to live in those moments and not lead those into becoming temptations for us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us 
the purpose, the intentionality, the thoughtfulness to go forward with our lives in in leading away from temptation. In Jesus' name, amen.